Hello and welcome to ISACA Podcast. My name is Holly Mangrum Willis and I am the Senior Program Manager for ISACA's Foundation, One in Tech. Joining me today is author of a recent ISACA Journal article entitled Changing the Healthcare Paradigm, Risk Challenges with Interactive EHRs, authored by Cindy Baxter. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you so much. It's it's very nice to be here, Holly. Good to see you again. And good to see you as well. So uh, Cindy is a return guest to the ISACA podcast. So I love having uh, subsequent discussions because I know that we dig into the meat of a topic. And so this 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 topic about healthcare and um, electronic health records, which is what EHR stands for, that I've learned, um, is very important to me because I uh, within like the last year I started. A a very intensive health journey because I had disconnect, disengaged from healthcare based on bad experiences, to be honest with you. And then I also have an aging mother. And so I'm starting to take on this role of assisting in her healthcare, right? And saying, hey, Ma, what did the doctor say about this? Or what does my chart say about that, right? So this is very apropos, and I am so very happy that I get a chance to talk with you more than anything, because I can point my mother in the direction of this podcast if we ever start fighting about about her Absolutely. care. <laughs> so, let me, so let me jump in with my first question. Can you explain what a, and is it a her or a H-E-R? What an H-E-R is and its relationship to the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act? Sure. So I think it's important to understand how we got here. And as it turns out, a lot of us are familiar with the paper trail. Um, the the um, federal mandate in the United States has only existed since 2014. And I certainly remember, and certainly as a child, uh, had all kinds of paper records for my medical information. And it, it, we're now looking at an age that is not technology just because everybody loves it, but in fact, because of the meaningful use clause um, that is specifically mandated by, my, mandated by our federal government. And that's where electronic health records come in. Um, so that mandate specifically highlights a few things. Um, first, uh, it, it is expected that having electronic health records is going to improve security and it's going to improve efficiency. And I don't think anybody in the ISACA community or the healthcare community, quite honestly, would argue with the fact that secure records um, and efficient data is not important. So, so that's part of the mandate. Um, it's also expected um, to integrate information that becomes accessible to providers of healthcare, the specialist and doctor community, therapists, and families. So it's supposed to enable that. It's also supposed to make sure that coordination of, of healthcare work is, is handled better, more collaboratively. And then finally, the mandate suggests that meaningful use means it also 
ultimately has that goal of improving the quality of healthcare overall. So these are really lofty goals. And I think understanding that the underpinnings of electronic health records or EHRs are in fact a regulatory framework should make ISACA professionals comfortable that this is an area where our expertise is very much, um, you know, is very important, very much in need. So you're, so in, you're saying regulatory mandate, which means there is a need for auditing, security, governance of these electronic records to produce better healthcare out- outcomes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I believe that as we get more and more complex programs and we think of the data integration that is required for any of our health records, as well as other things that we do. Um, You know, I know that we talk about the banking community a lot. I know I did um, an article on the Massachusetts Water Resource Commission where they have all these inputs from different and different data feeds that come in and give you air quality and, um, you know, parts per million and safety records and OSHA and all this kind of stuff. And we look at those utilities and we say, well, of course we belong there. But the reality is that the, the inputs into healthcare are just as complex, if not more complex, when we think of the number of tests involved, the number of institutions involved, especially now with a cultural philosophy of specializing um, medical, um, the medical community, um, and, and, and just the fact that different groups of, of users, not just the doctors and the providers, uh, but perhaps different family members, also want to be able to see and use the data in a timely basis. All of that to me sounds like, hey, let's make sure, first of all, there's digital trust and everything that that means, accuracy, um, accountability, um, clarity, all of these things are not easy to get. And certainly they're all familiar topics to those of us um, who belong to ISACA. Absolutely. Those, they're not easy to get. They're not easy to instill, especially in, uh, if I may, a runaway train such as electronic health records. Because, you know, I'm here, I'm here in the Chicago area and previously had gone to Northwestern Memorial Hospital, right? I can tell you, I know that they've been using my chart for well over 10 years, right? But Mm -hmm. the efficacy of that has definitely grown. Not every department was on this system. And so some of it was electronic, some of it was paper. Um, so So in that, and in those transitions or various adoptions of these electronic health record systems, can you talk about some of the key risks when we're considering how we're using this? Absolutely, and and you mentioned an interesting an interesting um, point when you share your own experience. I have a similar experience where, or I have an experience where I have more. I have multiple healthcare providers and specialists, and there are lots of choices in the Boston area where I am. And um, as it turns out, one of the specialties that uh, one of the specialties are in in a hospital group that I favor. That's, if you will, out of network 
for the majority of my other providers. So, you know, you start to think about, gee, should I just switch because of the tool? It's a very interesting thought to say, all right, do I have information? Do I have enough um, to try to make intelligent decisions about my healthcare? And when you mentioned, Holly, the runaway train, I think that's really the key consideration when we start to look at all this data. How do, um, how do we look at the key risks and how do we participate? So what are those risks? Top of mind, always with healthcare, um, also very regulated with HIPAA and, and with the mandate we were just talking about, um, is privacy. And privacy, I think, is, is a very interesting subject because a lot of what we do on the technology end is examine code, look at interoperability, look at interfaces, and we check things off. The reality, however, I think, um, most of us realize is you can check code, you can check system integration, you can check segmentation, but you can't check Holly talking to mom or her sister and saying, oh, sure, let me share my records with you. And therein lies an inherent risk that people don't always think about. What is the risk to privacy of the new culture we have today, which says, I can share anything. It's a big plus, but people need to understand, be aware and be well-educated on what that means when they are the person authorizing access. They're not protected by an IT department anymore. They may not be protected by an auditor anymore. And although in my particular case, my providers have a big sheet, you know, or a big pop-up that says, take note of what you're, you know, you're giving access to. Once I've done that, in my particular case, they're not reminding me, remember, you've just given this person, this person, and this person access. They've had it for four years now. Is that still okay? Or do you want to review your preferences? I don't get those reminders. Anybody who I've provided access to has a look at my stuff and there are privacy implications. And even with um, the Affordable Health Care Act, there are still very specific situations where insurers um, can use information to, to manage the health care insurance that they provide to you. So wait, I wait, 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 can you, can you run that back again about insurers? Yes. So there is some information, and I apologize that I don't remember no, no which in particular, um, but most of our health care, you know, if you have a pre-existing condition, mm -hmm. you still have the right to have insurance. There are a few types of insurance. Um, it may be life insurance, but I don't want to be quoted. Um, but in, in some of the research I did on this, there are certain aspects that that are risk factors for an insurance company and when you when you release your privacy you need to understand and do your own research it's very personal because you're going to go to a certain institution at a certain time that may have connections you really need to understand and ask questions what does this mean when i release this information to so and so is it going to affect me for this 
Oh, it's not. Okay, good to know. What about that? You need to be very proactive in terms of asking questions. And I think, so it's that risk of privacy, but I would suggest, as you can tell from the way I'm talking about this, from my perspective and from the audit professional and the risk manager professional perspective, I think a big risk we have to look for is awareness. And that's not a common category that we look at. Um, but when you think of awareness in education, it really is the underpinning for now all these users who are now authorized access providers to make sure that they are making the right decision. Are there procedures, are there work instructions so that people have guidance on how to allow for access? Not always, you know, as an auditor or risk professional, you look at, you know, authorizations and approvals. This is a very different frame of reference. How do you check on a patient who just let her best friend get into the records and now maybe they're not best friends anymore did she bother to remove the access there's all kinds of things to consider and very uh, you know a very loose framework in terms of how can you control it my suggestion is we can't control every single patient who is an authorized release you know ability has the authorized authorization to release their records. How we can help control it, however, is to not just look at the technology, but look at the awareness platform, if you will. What information is being provided? Is it being done on a constant basis that kind of gives that feel of monitoring so that our user community who is authorized to release all this stuff is reminded to do the the checks and balances they need to protect their own privacy. So you, so, okay, you have opened up an entire can of worms for me, okay? Yeah, really. So, because, so from from what I understood, especially with your um, earlier answer before I asked you to hone in on insurance, was that you're basically talking, it, it, it sounds like that we are currently operating on an honor system of ethics, of an ethical use of an engagement of, this of these systems like my chart right um but yeah. then when you bring into play all the other entities such as insurance such as uh other uh, maybe research institutions that might need to look at what other traditional doctors have done like i'm thinking like uh going from a teaching hospital to mayo clinic or something for for treatment right yes. or uh i think it's called city of hope now cancer centers treatments of america who are looking at those preliminary visits then we start to get into systemic behaviors, right? Because yeah. that we- and I definitely go to a teaching, most of my specialty work is done at a teaching hospital. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch of folks coming in. Um, and of course, as part of the care team, they do have access to my records. Absolutely. But then, but we start to get into a systemic nature of what we're dealing with, because as we know, there is systemic bias in healthcare. And this is one of the reasons why your article was fascinating to me, because as a black woman in America, health disparity, health bias is very, very real. It led to, I, I, on a personal level, it led to a six year disengagement 
from medical care in general because of the disparities I I experienced in going to seek just regular, just, you know, yearly checkups and care, you know, things of that nature. So what, because we know that very diverse communities are the exactly the folks that are using this information. It's, this is beyond race, gender, uh, sexuality. In, I mean, it, is it inclusive of income level? Um, what role, especially in, and I think this is a very important question for ISACA members because ISACA members are a part of an organization that that seek to make digital trust accessible for everyone. That is that is a, a part of our, our core value as an ISACA member. So what can ISACA professionals do knowing that they're working within systems that are that can be uh, uh, susceptible to systemic bias, what can they do to build digital trust? Well, it's a really it's a it's a good question, and it's you know I'm I'm going to allow it to segue into does anybody really use this? Because I think, in my view, that may be where some of the bias comes from as well. One of the things that I've noted, um, and, and then you fall into the same rut yourself, is that the medical community has always been extraordinarily busy. The more information you find, the more there is to process. And then we had the pandemic and people were overworked. Now we're still understaffed. So here we've got this amazing tool where we've got access for providers, researchers, future doctors, patients, friends of patients, relatives of patients, and it's just chock full of information. And, and certainly all of us as people are similar in, in a number of ways. And when you don't have a lot of time, and I've certainly experienced this myself, you know, with specialists, with doctors, and I'll leave an appointment and say, wait a minute, that's not really where I wanted them to go with that. They fall into, and, and not to oversimplify, but the, the, our common, um, there are common answers to things that go wrong. So people, when there's not a lot of time, medical providers, users who are patients, look for the obvious. So let me just make up an example. Say I have a problem with my mouth and I, you know, I go to, now I've got two choices, right? I guess I start with a dentist because it could be my tooth, although maybe my tooth doesn't hurt, but then it seems to go into my jaw. But is that part of a dentist's work or is it part of my, my primary care providers or do I have to go to some? So I start with a dentist and my dentist said, 
you know, says, oh, okay, your, uh, your teeth look good. And what do they do? They do the standard hot, cold thing. They do all the things that everybody always does. Nothing wrong. Off you go to person number B, who doesn't know anything about what person number A did. But they look at you for who they think you are. They look at what your symptoms are for what they think is going on. And then logically, because you just can't sit there and say, hmm, let's try this and that, they go for the most common approaches. And that makes sense. Where it doesn't make sense, however, is where things start to get complicated or where there are other factors to consider, be it race, be it gender, be it behavioral health. There are a number of things now that are components of looking at that full view. And and the data that goes into something like my chart is, is wonderful, but it, there's a lot of it. It's not uncommon, as I mentioned in my journal article, that a patient will get the test results before the doctor gets the test results. And if I use my app, instead of going on the web, sometimes my app shows, you know, you're in the good range versus in the bad range. Well, who came up with that range? Is that really the right answer? Then you ask your doctor and you're out of range and they say, oh, don't worry about that. Well, why shouldn't you worry about it? So my concern is that the, the volumes of data and the lack of time of all of us, but especially on a very challenged medical profession, means that we in ISACA, as well as the community we serve, need to be extra diligent. Are they categorizing you as a Black woman? Are they categorizing me as an older woman? Sometimes things happen to us that may not fit in the top three normal things. The thing is, can they quickly tick through number one, two, and three, and then take that big morass of data or even collaborate with somebody else who they could add to the network so that you get that brainstorming that really this wonderful technology allows us. At the end of the day, this is really cool technology, but it's in the hands of over busy humans. And it's critical to raise a hand and say, okay, I did this. I got to have, maybe I got to have some kind of, you know, data remodeling. Is there somebody else I should be pulling in? Maybe the patient needs to say, and this is also something I mentioned in the article, um, Jenna is a physical therapist and, and has her own health issues. And like all of us, right? Nothing fancy. Um, but, but with that, that background of being a healthcare professional, she pointed out to me when, when we talked, that, you know, the doctors, just like all of us, will, will put forth their recommendation that they feel and their, their team of, of experts put together. What if you wanted to hear the one they didn't pick? What if there was an opportunity for you to say, well, what if this was the situation? Or I didn't tell you that this happened when I was a little kid and it's on a paper record that mom and dad had. It's not in my chart. That's where the conversation gets very interesting. And that's where all of us, even those who may feel afflicted, may sit back and be our own cause of some form of not being treated 
in with full equity. So it sounds it it sounds like a much like the conversation that we are the conversations we are beginning to have around artificial intelligence. Um, yes, which is you know it's yes it is a technology but it is still relatively dependent on ethical humans and so yes. you know you can't talk about ai without talking about ethical ai now right and so it still requires our medical care our medical professionals um they they have to make the tech work right they have to that's Go ahead. correct. Yeah, they have to make it. No, that's absolutely correct. And and I think one of the things that I know I want to emphasize is I absolutely advocate this technology as opposed to when I would carry my paper records around and they truly were what the doctor chose to write down, not necessarily including the test results. When I even think back maybe a couple decades ago, when my sister-in-law was complaining as a cardiac nurse saying, oh, we had to get the doctor out of bed again because we couldn't read the handwriting. We're not there anymore. We're in such a different place and that's a good place to be in. But Holly, as you say, it comes with a whole new set of responsibilities. I feel we should embrace the technology, but be aware of the responsibilities. And the good news is like anything that you are, are reviewing for risk management or for auditing, you're never gonna know as much as the professionals. You're never gonna know as much as the patient who's experiencing something. But the role is to understand what are those inflection points or control points, right? Where maybe a question ought to be asked, where maybe awareness should be improved, where maybe a team lead in a hospital should have an obligation to do a, 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 a pooling together of key specialists as opposed to just the core group of specialists. Those things sometimes have to be called out by an objective party. And it doesn't mean that you can read an x-ray and find a fracture or understand what is the implication of doing, you know, a, a biopsy while somebody is, you know, transplant ready for, for kidney failure, we're not ever going to know all those details. It's knowing how to ask that question, understanding the auditing discipline and doing enough homework, as I mentioned up front, on those key areas um, that the mandate um, outlines, quality, security, um, collaboration. Those are the things that really the, the regulation says needs to be monitored. And you, in your article, you talked a, a, about, you mentioned the HL7 requirements. Can you speak a little bit about to what, what that is and where it can be found? Yes. Um, so I do have a quote, uh, uh, um, let me see a URL in my article okay, and good. I would encourage people to find that, but I, it's probably too, um, I can try to find it, but the bottom line is that it is, it is another set of standards. It's the set of standards that dictates how the, the collaborative coding, if you will, um, that uses, you know, there's a, there's a 
the code called MUMPS that, that is used in, in some of the common platforms. Um, it, there's um, digital health, um, and I think, I think the HL7 is under digitalhealth.folio3.com, and that is in the article. So what that does is it's really like an ISO standard, and it gives you um, the details that one would expect on, on compliance for healthcare. And, and once again, as you start to perform an audit or you're examining risk, you can get what you need to to make sure your scope of work is on track by going into the appropriate standards. In this case, for this type of programming, HL7 is that set of standards. Um, but, but the takeaway for me is when I reviewed that, I am not a, a health auditor by any means. I'm a patient. I'm certainly not a doctor. Um, I've, you know, had parents and, um, and, and friends and, and loved ones and myself where I gain knowledge and expertise because of what we go through, but from an ISACA or from a professional risk management perspective or auditing perspective or first line of defense, I feel that this is an area that that you can feel comfortable just going to the reference, pulling out what is important for you, not just if you're doing an audit or a risk assessment, but maybe even if you're trying to examine, hey, what could they be doing? Or what do I need to know about my health if this is, say, a long-term situation for me, if I've got time? Um, it's all a matter of how much and what is the best research to do based on what you're trying to achieve. And these standards are not insurmountable at all. Oh, that, so that is that is very encouraging. Um, and I'm going to posit something. I'm not sure if it's happening already. And, I, and you said that you're not a health auditor, so I don't expect you to answer this. But I wonder if in healthcare situations, um, in healthcare institutions, if those auditors are actually training the physicians on the use of this information and, and not just the use of it for medical purposes, but the ethical use of the information and some of the possible the 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 positive health outcomes that can surmount. I I wonder if that is being made standard. In hospitals, because it's and and what I'm getting to, especially for ISACA members, is that we have more of a role in this in in achieving positive in positive healthcare outcomes and eliminating or diminishing disparities than we think we do. Just I, that I simple education, agree. right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you're right. I don't know the answer to your question. And I'm afraid that if I told you the answer, because I, I was tempted over the past several months since I wrote the article to, you know, ask this specialist as I went in and ask that specialist. But that may not be a universal standard, right? It may not be universal that everybody gets that kind of ethical training. There may not, certainly there are certain you know, certain elements that we all get trained on, conflict of interest, security, all mm. of these are really 
normal things. And I don't know the answer about the ethical um, elements, but I feel that as we get into systems like my chart or patient gateway or Epic, whatever our listeners may know it in their own, in, in their own experience, um, I think it's, it's important to keep in mind that time does is time has not been on the side of those who need to help us collaborate the most everybody is too busy and i think from an isaka perspective just as you're suggesting technology gets more and more complex it pulls us closer and closer to a hybrid model how are is the system working properly? Yes. Is the application performing the way users expect it? Now let's cross over to the business aspect of it. Is this being used with the, with the outcome one would expect, which again goes back to the mandate? Is healthcare getting better? Is, it, um, is collaboration improving? Is, is quality and efficiency because sometimes the gift of time is what you need. And if everybody's busy, we don't want a ton of data in there only for it not to get used. So, so how are people being trained to go outside of maybe the top three most common answers to use this morass in an effective way? And, and that's where ISACA professionals um, can start asking those questions and insisting that it become part of a routine and regimen for the medical professional community, as well as offered um, education for the patient user community. That is incredibly impactful, and I and I hope um, that ISACA, that our ISACA community that it resonates with them as much as it resonated with me because it's mm-hmm. it's always a, a beautiful thing when you realize that you can have impact in areas and in ways that you didn't think you could just by doing what you do best, right? Absolutely. Um, so to that end, what would you suggest to users of this? Because we, we talked about what, I guess, purveyors or, or inputters of yeah. this data, but what about uh, users, patients, um, maybe researchers, users, what, what do you suggest to them a, about uh, electronic health records um, and, and revolutionizing the, what, what's happening in the revolution of healthcare that you mentioned earlier about personalization yes. in healthcare? The biggest recommendation I would make is download the app (laughs) and access the web. It really took me a while to realize that I shouldn't just access it every now and then. I should have the app right on my phone, which I do. Um, I should have an easy bookmark to it on the web which I do, and I should use it. Um, That is the biggest thing. The thing is you may not understand everything that's in there, but if you don't go in and see what's there, you can't ask questions. You can certainly ask questions based on what your doctor tells you, 
But as an example, I recently got my physical um, and um, the doctor um, dictated her notes into the system and they didn't match anything. They, they, were, they were so much more detailed than what she told me because, I mean, we had, what, 20 minutes, something like that. I then went into the records and because technology enables her to dictate, right, without, you know, she doesn't have to write it all out. It gets pretty detailed. And when I went in there, it's like, oh, I didn't know she checked for that. I didn't realize she was watching how I walked when I came into the room. I didn't know. So number one, use the technology and and use that technology to start framing your own questions. Whether you're going into something as an ISACA professional because you're gonna do a scope of work um, within a medical practice or a hospital or, or even a community center, um, you know, start by getting into the app and you can always start with yourself because you're always a great guinea pig. You know, the second thing is when you're using it in any situation, whether you're about to do a scope of work or whether you're a patient, go through and write out questions ahead of time from that data. What does that do? A lot of people may not prepare for a doctor's exam, or maybe if they do, they've got a few questions. If you prepare based on using the app, it puts your provider on notice that you're using MyChart and that what they're putting into the system is data that's important to you. Test results from the labs typically go in there right away. If you see, if you see an x-ray in there that you had taken and you think it's last night's thunderstorm, that's okay. Ask a question. It's not last night's thunderstorm, it's you. But you have a right to understand what it means. And again, it helps the healthcare team understand that they're using that data. Um, so that makes it a, a real, that makes the data important to all parties and it's an easy way to start. And it does start the framing of questions that then becomes a much more, um, you know, a much easier way to not only have conversations, but to talk about strategies, care strategies, to talk about fairness. You know, why didn't you, you check this for my heart? You know, when my husband went, he had that done. Was there something about me that was different? Oh no, we just don't always see that in women, so I didn't do that for you. Even though you said you were having this trouble too, I don't, we don't, could you do it anyways? You know, could you recommend that? So there's all kinds of different things that you can do by, by being an active user and then just use that as a baseline to jump off and either do work, take care of yourself or take care of your loved ones. That is amazing, not just an active user, but an active participant in your healthcare. Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I remember, um, granted, I'm a, a smidge younger than my mom, obviously, but I remember a time yeah. where you walked into the doctor, told him what was wrong, he dictated back to you what you did, and notice I'm saying he, right? He dictated yes. back to you what, you what you needed to do. You went home, did that thing. If it worked, great. If it didn't, you went back and started all over That's again. Right. This allows you a lot more autonomy 
and it allows you to be, if I may, prophylactic in your health care, proactive in your health care, um, and right. a message to all of us who are um, caregivers and potential caregivers, please teach your elders how to log on to the yes. apps, friends. They need, they need it. Be yes. patient. Take some time. Um, you know, if you have to drink a glass of wine before... <laughs> <laughs> to manage, to manage right. your patient, to manage your patients, do that. But it is to your and to your loved ones' benefit, um, and to our ISACA membership and community. Thank you for all the work that you do, and that you will continue to do to drive this and to to d diminish these disparities. Um, I, Cindy, I sincerely appreciate the time you took to write this poignant and and timely article in the ISACA journal. Please make sure that you check it out. It is entitled Changing the Healthcare Paradigm, Risk Challenges with Interactive Electronic Healthcare Records. It is there and available. We have a link um, down in the comment section. Cindy Baxter, thank you again. We know that you'll be back with some other time, with some new timely uh, learning and that you will share with us. So we appreciate you and thank you for being a part of this community. And to the rest, thank you for joining this ISACA podcast. Take care and stay safe.